Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 537, Last of Us season finale reaction. podcast frank joins those with eddie eddie i was gonna start with just going right into the last of us i had a pretty good line but i'll save it because i want to make sure we get the spoilers warning out and i didn't want someone to have the season finale ruined similar to how you just like to ruin shows for people so i have uh avoided that and we'll talk about it later but uh how are things otherwise so far i haven't i don't i didn't spoil anything in season one Aside from the fact that they were going to go to Salt Lake City, which in the end spoiled it, ruined it, was the briefest of appearances in Salt Lake City. I mean, it really, yeah. it really was in a listen. Let's give people some time to stop. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> next no, thing you know, you're going to be telling everything. But speaking of spoiling things, actually, and following okay. on the heels of a topic that we discussed in our last episode. You spoke about the fact that you probably had some kind of rating on Rate My Professor. And I decided decided (laughs) to look you up. (laughs) And I'm going to put you on the spot here. You only have six reviews. Do you want to? Oh, boy. Do you want to have any? I have six reviews? That's a lot. Yeah. That's more than I thought I would. No, you only have... Well, are you asking me if I feel comfortable with you reading them aloud? Yeah, go ahead. I don't care. Well, I mean, so I'll say this. Only one is negative. So it's an overwhelmingly positive review. So out of the six reviews, it's on a scale of one to five. One to five? five, uh, Four of them have given you a five for quality. Oh, yeah. One gave you a four for quality. And then the person who obviously hates you has given you a one for quality. <laughs> so would you like some highlights from the person who did not enjoy their experience with you? Yeah. Actually, can I ask you something? Is this, what, what year was this? Is this recent? June, 2022. Okay. They didn't like that it was online. I guarantee that's what it was. Uh, that does not get mentioned. Oh, okay. So. Um, Cause it, at that point it's online. So. I mean, so in in I will give my standard. I probably have a decent idea because we also internally do like a like a, at the end of the semester you send out and they can fill it in. And I remember this was this would have been last year. I did get a few negative comments from people because it, like you can't please everyone, right? Oh no, you so never. When it, when when the course was in person, people would hate that it was like it was an early course and like you would ask questions and no one would answer and you would wait for someone to answer. So I was like, all right, we'll make it to online course where you can like answer, you know, within a, within the interactive lecture and no one has to hear your answer. And then people were like, I don't like that it's online. I was like, well, I don't know what to do here, guys and girls. <laughs> so yeah, okay, go for it. Well, so before we go to the negative, let's, I'll try and be Mr. Positive. So let's- Wait, wait, can I ask one thing? Yeah. Is there the spicy meter still? The spi- <laughs> or did they take that? I don't know what the spicy meter is. There used to be like a hotness meter. <laughs> what? 
Yeah, so originally, right, my professor, there was like a hotness. Oh, meter. no, this is, it's, it's, uh, it's they, they've gone politically correct. It's quality and difficulty. <laughs> Those are the only two okay. uh, criteria. You Back have. in the day, you used to be able to rate on uh, like looks and appearances no, so, and, and uh, so Pedro Pascalness, yeah. let's call it. So, no, you got a one out of five on quality and difficulty. And then okay. they also give some. Oh, it's not. It can't be difficult. And no one has to give me a high difficulty. The highest difficulty you have is is three. Yeah. Okay. Um. The, even the person who hated you gave you a one on difficulty. So hated the it, class, yeah. but it was a walk in the park. But be- I'm I'm sure they got an A. Before we <laughs> before we go to the negative, I'll give some highlights of the positives, just so okay. you know, give the listeners the right impression here. One said that you're amazing will help you whenever you don't understand the material and they would take your they would take you a thousand times over anyone else. Wow. Yeah, that was, That's a high praise. That is. Put put that in the tenure packet. Yeah. <laughs> Another one said you're great, you really know your stuff. Lots of exams, but they are open note. Uh the lectures can feel like they drag on, but you draw a lot of diagrams. I do. You have to draw for physio. And then another one said, you're one of the best professors at the University of Arizona. Oh, come on. This is amazing. What, what are we? Well, this is great. Said, said the class does require you to pay attention. That's uh, Wow, what a surprise. <laughs> but if you do the work, you will be golden. I highly recommend this class. Nice. It's a required course, so you can't really recommend it. <laughs> but but thank you. I appreciate the review. I'm not making fun of you. Another person said, one of the best professors they've had at the school, that you're caring wow. and love your students, and that you even show pictures of your cute dog to encourage people to come to class. I do. But he said... Yes, Beans is featured prominently. You definitely have to prepare, though, is also included. And then the final couple highlights of the positive... You'll learn a lot if you're prepared to put in the work. The lectures can be long, but if you take notes, you'll do well on the exams. And also, yeah, the, that's those are the main, those are the good highlights. So there's a lot of positives, both about the quality of the class, you as a person. I mean, overall, I don't want to give anyone the wrong impression. You know, you're... I mean, those sound pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> but then... Here comes the other shoe. Let's let's hear the <laughs> let's let's hear the bad one. It's only one, mind it's you. It's only one. So eighty percent, eighty percent are good. This is an outlier, based on the current existing. Okay. I'll give you the full. It's only a few sentences. Duca is not a great professor, and there are Duca <laughs> just, just Duca. Duca, no professor, no first name, and there are no doctor, nothing. and there are many things wrong with this class. First of all, this is domesticated animal and an anatomy. Domesticated animal anatomy. We talked about humans for the majority of the class. Along with having very boring lectures and drawings that are impossible to understand. Even though grades never get put into the grade book, it's an easy A. <laughs> so he got so this person got an A. He or she got Would an A. Would have to assume, yes. And, uh, yeah, it is not happy. Well, I mean, there's not much I can do there. Uh I, I can I can rebut this in the sense that most of the people taking this course have had no physiology training at all. So it's very difficult to go into domesticated animals which have 
like extremely varying physiology amongst the species without first having a baseline of what like the normal physiology is. And it's, I, I purpose, I mean, I literally purposely do that. And I even preface the course by saying, you're going to learn mostly human anatomy and occasionally I'll sprinkle in some like unique features of domesticated animals, but I'd rather people have a baseline understanding of how the heart works than why an octopus has so many heart chambers without knowing what a heart chamber is, you know, like it's very tough to do that. <laughs> no, for sure. And look, as, as I said, you, you've, you've got one outlier there for negativity. Yeah. And I, and as you said, you can't please everyone as we no. know from the book. You have to teach to, you have to teach to the mean, not to Which the Which is the other issue. If you, I wish I could, I wish I could teach to the one student who's like, this is boring. Let's get into cool stuff. I'd be like, that's awesome. But that's not the case. There you go. Anyway. That was, I thought. That's, that's really good. Yeah. I'm going to print those out and put them in my tenure pack. I don't know if they accept rate my professor. But. Uh, when I took a look, I was expecting it to be positive because obviously, you know, I know the quality of your work and that you're a nice person and stuff. So I wasn't expecting to be, to see some just a people ripping into you on with every review, but I would not have brought it up. Had that been like ninety percent negative, that would have just. Yeah, you could have brought up. I really don't care. <laughs> I mean, what would be funny is I I know other professors just by knowing them who probably have really low scores and probably have great negative feedback. It would be fun to read through theirs, but I don't want to put them on the spot, so it's an- we won't do that. It's interesting to know the type of person who leaves a review, positive or negative. I mean, it's one of those things. I'm a non-review person when it comes to anything. Like, obviously, on a one-to-one yeah. basis, if you asked me, like, what is that class like? What is that professor like? Then I would be, I'd be happy to say something. But I'm not the type of person who buys something online and then leaves a review. Just not, no. not in my nature. That being said, if you're listening to this podcast and you'd like to leave us a review, it does help us to gain more listeners with the algorithm. So so this is what I will say. I am similar to you and that I never leave reviews, but I highly rely on reviews. Like one of my initial things, like if we're going to like a restaurant or something, I will instantly Google review it. And if it's got like just like low stars, it's like, no, nah, this pot place ain't good. Now there are definitely exceptions to that rule. So that's where it gets a little confusing, but you have to have like that baseline number and it's really tough because then you have to like look within where you are. So like certain cities will be like the, the baseline is super low. So if there, if like a restaurant's at like a 4.4, it's probably really good in some cities, but then other cities like a 4.4, when you compare it with other rankings, isn't that good. So you have to really put in the work, like you have to be decent at Google reviews to, to like understand them. The other thing, though, is I love wasting 15, 20 minutes just reading people's reviews and seeing some of the reasons why they'll give it one star that has like nothing to do with the restaurant or the product or the place. It's just amazing. Like it is great. Like what people will give one star for that had nothing to do with the experience. Oh, no. Yeah. hundred percent. I agree with you. And and also, I, I mean, I'm I'm in the, I'm on the same boat. I'm so reliant on reviews. I wouldn't buy anything on Amazon without checking the reviews. Like if, if something doesn't have 500 yeah. plus a thousand plus reviews on Amazon already, I'm skeptical about buying it. 
So like I'm now the Amazon community, they do a good job with reviews. They'll like give pictures, yeah. they'll give like video demos. Like you get some thorough reviews from Amazon people. They are dedicated. No, you do. And for the most part, like you know if something's four stars, like a four out of five rating or a higher, then it's probably okay. You'll know when people are really ripping into it. Like I like to just isolate the negative reviews and then see if there's a consistency. And see if they're like legitimate. Yeah. yeah. Like see if this, if, oh, every person who's being critical of this product is saying exactly the same thing. Anyway, that's some wonderful insight for our listeners yeah. who've tuned in to get sports updates who are now being told about review processes. Who now, who now are going to take my course, maybe. Highly recommended. It's true. <laughs> it's true. If you want to audit it, it's online. Go for it. There we go. <laughs> But, you know, leave a review with the podcast first. Really easy. Like if you're listening to us on Spotify, you can just leave us a little five stars. Just helps out. Tell us. Great, great podcast. They're terrible, terrible, terrible instructor. Or reverse. <laughs> At the moment, based on reviews, more likely to say great, great professor, terrible podcaster. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so I, let's get into some sports. Um we can briefly touch the NFL because we did a little bit last week on the start of free agency signings uh, hadn't quite started yet, but teams that, you know, had players. So with early signings like Daniel Jones, we talked about, but the free agent signing uh, fiasco has started and first day, some pretty big signings. Uh, so you had right after we closed the last podcast, we had Derek Carr signed with the New Orleans Saints for Four years, $150 million. Now compare that to the Daniel Jones contract that we discussed, which was four for 160. Pretty similar contracts. And I I think that kind of shows the Giants did a decent job because, I mean, I think Daniel Jones is just as good as Derek Carr. You know, when you add in the, the running aspect of it and the youth aspect of it, I think there's a little more potential and a little more upside. I think Derek Carr has kind of ceilinged out. And that's not saying he's not good, but I can't see Derek Carr drastically improving in the next three to four years. Yeah, I don't know if I can necessarily see Daniel Jones drastically improving either. But sure, he's he's slightly more I, mean, I think you to. can with, you know, new, he's in a new system, new coaches. And that first year he did improve with them. So maybe you'll get a little more bump after another full year. I'm not saying he's going to become Mahomes in two years, but. No, I mean, I think, yes, obviously there've been some quarterback moves since we spoke on Friday, but, you know, I think for the most part, my opinion remains unchanged, which is aside from the possibility of going after Lamar Jackson, there's no one out there who's a sort of potentially game changing quarterback to land. So, does this? Do you think this helps the Saints? though? very weak division. Um, yeah, it's a super weak division. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'd make them favorites probably to win the division right now. But yeah. things could change because there'll be more free agent signings. There'll be some more trades, and you know, like the Panthers. And for those listening, you know, it's the Panthers, the Falcons, the Saints, and the Bucks. Yeah. None of them have a starting quarterback now besides Derek Carr. <laughs> no, and you have to expect the Bucks to fall off a cliff. Um, and I, I mean, I guess that even saying that's probably a little dramatic considering they didn't go 500 last year. So I don't know if it's, there's not really a cliff to fall off of. 
they'll just slightly roll down a hill. Uh, I think the Panthers, they showed a lot of life towards the end of that season. So I think the Panthers could be the main, I would expect it, I would expect it probably to be the pan between the Panthers and the, and the Saints. The Falcons could, I mean, just their lack of options at quarterback for the time being, you know, that's, I'm surprised from their perspective that they're not being a little bit more aggressive. Like if I were them, I'd be going after Lamar Jackson just because like you could win that division. Any of those teams, you win that division. If you get Lamar Jackson, like that's it's done. Yeah. You've automatically put yourself in the playoffs. So you kind of have to wonder why none of those teams are trying to make a more aggressive move to secure a, a, a kind of very good quarterback. I know why, Eddie, because you tank next season and get Caleb Williams the following season, once in a generational talent. Okay. I feel like we have once in generational talents every three years, but sure. These are very small generations in the NFL. Well, average lifespan in the NFL is three to five years. <laughs> that is true. But yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's, um, there's been some other interesting moves, obviously. Yeah. Um, so you got, uh, Hargrave, the D tackle who was on the Eagles is now on the Niners. Do the Niners need a better defense? Is this, was this a smart way to spend their money when their offense is completely stagnant and, you know, can't score and, you know, can't win them games in the playoffs? <laughs> I mean, if you have a healthy quarterback, which they addressed, I guess, with Sam Darnold, um, from the 49ers perspective, it makes sense. I guess this means they'll probably try and move Kinlaw because he's just not healthy consistently enough. When he is healthy, he's a very good player. And so they didn't necessarily need another option there. But this clearly is an indication that they they want more consistency and availability from that position to go alongside Bosa. So, yeah, I think that's a sign probably Kinlaw gets... A strong chance he's moved. They also did. They def- defensively they were slightly weakened. They weakened in the sense that they they lost Jimmy Ward. He went to the Texans, so that's a, a bit of a blow. But he's he's thirty. Now I have to ask that. I wanted to bring that one up. If you're Jimmy Ward, is there any more clear way to say I just want to take the money than signing no. with the Texans? No. <laughs> No, it's just it's 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 weird because there's there's two things clearly he was motivated by. One was the money and two he wants to go back to playing safety. And the Niners have been using him as in the slot a lot over the last year, two years. And he's been pretty vocal about his desire to go back to playing exclusively at the safety position. And I guess going to the Texans they'll allow him to do that. And I mean you could also make the other argument if he really enjoyed his time under D'Amico Ryan he's getting to go you know you, your defensive coordinator has just gone to be head coach yeah so that's a selling point I guess yeah. but it, it was very Rod Tidwell yeah yes <laughs> in in many ways but no I mean it's it's you cannot convince me like to leave a legitimate Super Bowl contender to go to a team that almost certainly will not even be in the playoffs for the rest of your career I mean he's 30 years old so yeah, the, you know, there's he, he he probably played in his last ever playoff game in that NFC Championship game, and then he's just said, well, "I want to make as much money now." That's it. Yeah, if I got four years left, just show me the money. 
Kansas City Chiefs have a, a big one here because uh, Orlando Brown, their star offensive tackle, is now a free agent, but they went and probably signed the next best O tackle in uh, Jawan Taylor from the Jacksonville Jaguars. So it looks like Orlando Brown probably won't be a Kansas City Chiefs, and maybe they save some money kind of replacing. I think they're only like a year apart in age, so they're still pretty young. But um, Chiefs still prioritizing their offensive line, which is I think Mahomes will be happy to see. Um that would probably be the biggest signings. Traymon Edmonds uh, went from the Bills to the Bears. That's a pretty big signing. Um, the one, though, that I wanted to talk about, Eddie, is on CBS Sports, they they have a ranking of their, like, free agents. Okay? Where do you think Jimmy Garoppolo, who just signed with the Raiders for three years, $67 million, fits in? on their rankings compared to Derek Carr and Daniel Jones. Rank all three for me so, from one to a hundred. So, <laughs> okay. So this is a numerical ranking. Like yes. he, oh, he is a 76 overall or whatever. And, yeah. and this is based on just their quality of the player, not on contract or anything. It's just based on how good do they think he is. They're unclear. just saying the top 100 free agents of 2023. So I'm assuming age is a little bit factored in, but mostly the quality of the player. Okay. I would give Garoppolo a 75. Like to me, he's the definition of a 75. So you think he's a 75th okay. best? Oh, no, no. Okay. So now you've made, no, no. You made it seem as if it's a ranking from one, a numerical value. Okay. So this is, all right. No, it's, it's a list. I, we got confused. When you said numerical ranking, I thought you meant like one to 100. No, a numerical value is in score. Yeah, a rating for a one. score. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, okay. The, all right. Um, Classic Google Translate mess up. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, and this is all positions. All positions. I would say Jimmy Garoppolo would have been around 10th. Okay. And where would you put Carr and Daniel Jones? Um, you can just say above or below. I'd put, I'd put, it's tough. <laughs> I would put Derek Carr slightly below and I would put Daniel Jones slightly above. Wow. Well, Eddie, you can just not take the Niners nations out of you because they have ranked Derek Carr is the second best free agent. They have ranked. Daniel Jones as the ninth best free agent, and I have ranked Jimmy G as the 34th best free agent. I mean, it's so tough without seeing the full list of free agents, obviously, right? Because, I mean, I wouldn't have Daniel, I wouldn't have Derek Carr as the second best free agent, but it's also hard. They have Lamar Jackson's Carr, Hargrave, Darren Payne, Saquon Barkley are their top five. Because it's hard, because it's also like, how do you weight? the position you know like so yeah having jimmy garoppolo there doesn't really make sense because obviously like it seems like they're weighting qbs high with jackson uh carr and jones all in the top 10 but then they just forgot that jimmy g also plays quarterback <laughs> and just doesn't warm the bench where's jimmy ward on that list uh, jimmy ward was i think 30 yeah 
No, no, it's just... no love for Jimmy G, Eddie. No love for Jimmy G. I mean, it's understandable. He's consistently missed games over the last few seasons. But you are talking about a quarterback, too, who did look good when he played last year, for the most part. I mean, not spectacular, but good. And is a year removed from, you know, nearly making a Super Bowl. So to have to be significantly behind a quarterback with no playoff wins, right? It's there's sometimes I don't Which know. one are you referring to? <laughs> there specifically Derek Carr. Daniel Jones, I'll give him the he has the he has the benefit of youth to not be too critical about a lack of playoff wins. It's not totally fair. But Derek Carr has been around the league for long enough now where you can judge him based on a lack of team success. And also he was in a situation with the Raiders where they were pretty aggressive in free agent signings to try and build a really explosive offense around him. And, you know, they'd have games where everything looked good, but over the course of a season, it wasn't consistent. So, I mean, the question is, if you'd stuck Jimmy G on these Raiders teams from the last three seasons, do you really think they're worse? Is he better than Carr? Yeah, I mean, he's not worse, is all I'd say. If he's healthy. I don't know. I mean, I think some games probably would have been, could have been better by not playing, but I, I, <laughs> I don't think he's worse. Yeah, I mean, the issue with Derek Carr that you've seen, I think, throughout his whole career is he can have games where he is just spot on in the zone, can go toe to toe with like Patrick Mahomes for 350, you know, like 34 out of 38, four TDs, and then he has games where it's like he's not even there. Like he's on the field, but you couldn't even tell he's on the field. He, he gets very hot and cold. He's not consistent. Um, and I don't know, you know, is that him or is that the Raiders? You know, is it that the Raiders haven't had great coaching and consistent coaching and consistent offensive coordinators? So I, I don't know. I, Derek Carr is a very tough quarterback to evaluate in my mind. And I give him a lot of credit, right? His uh, little kind of, joke he made about himself during the the pro bowl events when he he dominated the quarterback skills competition and made the joke about how it was sort of one of his best ever performances in vegas like the self-awareness and the humility involved in that that made him like that made me like him a little bit more but yeah i don't know we'll see this is the again he gets to go and play in a dome in a bad division, in a crappy division, like he's got no <laughs> excuses. You know, we'll, yeah, we'll know by the sure. we'll know by the end of next season whether or not he could say, "Okay, there's some sort of mitigating circumstances that explain his poor play over the last couple of years," which there are. But now we get to see whether they were significant enough or whether he was the real issue. Should we move on to the? Uh ever confusing mess that is the premier league and the complete inconsistency <laughs> of of teams yeah we can do yeah obviously it was a weekend in which i mean um arsenal looked looked very good against fulham a fulham team that was missing a couple of key players so in the end probably an easier match than other teams will experience against fulham in the coming weeks city kind of huffed and puffed against crystal palace but eventually got there deservedly, but they definitely didn't, 
they did not make light work of it. But yeah, I mean, the big, the weekend got off. I mean, it's, it, 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 is, it is cool, though. I have to think, at least. You know, you have, what, 11, 11 matches left. In the last five each, if you combine Arsenal and City, they are 28 for 30. Yeah. In points. So like they they are putting up a high level performance to try and, you know, I guess Arsenal to pull away and City to to climb back. Not that they're far away. I mean, they're only five back, but it is impressive that they're both right now, at least in the Premier League, firing on all cylinders. No, and this is the interesting thing because over the last few seasons, this is what we've become used to, because we've watched Liverpool and City go head to head in kind of similar circumstances and down the stretch both of them to be pretty much perfect. And in a, and I do agree with you, people don't really appreciate it. I don't think we appreciated it enough last season when both City and Liverpool, for the final sort of 10 matches, neither one was putting a foot wrong. And then, you know, we may well be about to... Well, if we do see it again, I think people won't appreciate it enough. But also, if we don't see it again, I think people will be overly critical of... Just because we just factor it in now, like, oh, well, City will win every match except for maybe when they play Arsenal or like a couple of other teams. And of course, Arsenal should beat everyone except for when they go to the, to, you know, city and, and maybe a couple of other fixtures that they have. And the reality of it is, it's that, you know, like all of these matches are, are pretty tricky ties. And especially when you look at the bottom of the table, there are a lot of teams fighting for their lives. And so you're not going to get easy matches with, six, seven matches to go. Every team is going to put up their very best effort. You know, there's normally in the final three, four, five matches, you might think there are a few teams who have one eye on their summer holidays because they've not got a lot left to play for. But this whole season is so, the league table is so compressed. It's only going to be a couple of teams who have legitimately nothing to play for with a few matches left. I mean, there's going to be every, there's going to be a few looking over their shoulder, and there's going to be a few thinking if we win, string a few wins together, we could we could scrape the European places. So, you know, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. But yeah, I mean, the big talking point in terms of a team who the team that shows absolutely no consistency was was Liverpool. And well, that's what I was going to say. I was going to next transition into getting those European places because that's where I think chaos is ensuing, where you have. You know, a team like United, who looked like they were, you know, just cruising and and are one from their last two matches. And then you have Spurs, who seem to look like they got it together with two straight wins and then a loss. But now they get, you know, one again. Like, it's so inconsistent, the back and forth between some of these clubs. Uh, You know, Newcastle looked like they were going to just fall apart and and won this weekend. So maybe they're going to get back on track. Uh Liverpool, like you mentioned, is just a fucking roller coaster of a disaster, if I've ever seen it. And uh, dare I say, Chelsea are heating up. <laughs> yeah, that's, that might be a little bit of a stretch. I mean, Newcastle will know what's going to happen in the next six matches, basically, because they play both United and Spurs. They've got these two games in hand, so it becomes a little bit, you know, kind of look at the league table and how do you factor that in? You can't just put six an extra six points there because they're just not that type of team. But we'll know within the next six matches if they, you know, lose both of those matches. If they lose both against United and Spurs, they're out of the race for the top four, I would say. Um, Liverpool, right as they 
you know, it's it's the it's the reverse. It's 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 right as they thought they were about to get themselves back in, they <laughs> they sucked them back out, pull themselves out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they, you know, like the, everything you would have put going going to put, get the chance to play Bournemouth right on the heels of beating United seven nil. You know, that would have there. It's inconceivable that they would have lost, and then. To lose one nil, to have Salah mix, miss a penalty at a crucial moment, I think if he scores that penalty, they probably go on to win that match. You know, that was that sixty-fifth minute or so. It's that typical moment when a good team equalizes and then just gets, you know, twenty twenty-five minutes to really dominate against a team, then trying to hold on for that valuable point, and instead they, you know, fail to to score. So. I don't know. I can't believe that Liverpool will show enough consistency over the remaining matches to close the gap on the teams above them. I think that's my... And because it's more than one team, this is what I... You know, they can maybe count on Newcastle slipping up or maybe on Spurs slipping up, but I don't think they'll see both Newcastle and Spurs slip up enough for them to also be able to kind of get the points that they need. And then, you know, we discussed this previously, but just as interesting is the bottom of the table for the relegation where Southampton maybe looked down and out and have, you know, one, I think, what, two out of their last four and had even a draw last week. So, like, they're, they've gotten 50% of their points almost in these past past few weeks. So, it's, it's interesting at the bottom, too. And that's going to be those last three matches, you know, for possibly the last – what like five clubs could be super important. Oh, I mean, I mean, you're talking, you know, we, we've talked about like, you're talking millions and millions and millions of dollars at the stake yeah. in these last few matches for a large number of clubs. I mean, everyone 12th and below is focusing on staying in the league. I mean, you're talking, it's only five points from bottom to 12th. So, you know, Crystal Palace won't consider themselves. Normally you would have thought at this stage of the season when you're 12th, you should be safe, barring something catastrophic happening. But, you know, to be five points clear of bottom and only three points clear of the drop zone, and when especially when you look at Palace, they're not exactly in form, so they're trending the wrong way on top of that. I mean, yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of teams there who will be very, very nervous as the, as the season draws to a close. Did you want, I know we don't normally mention rugby, did you want 30 <laughs> seconds to a minute and I'll just ISO you out and you can talk about how pathetic the England performance was against France? Do, do you want do you want do you want that ISO or do you want to move on? Uh, we can make mention of it. It's obviously a major sporting event, the Six Nations, which this year we haven't spoken about as much as we have in years past. But yeah, England uh, suffered their largest ever defeat at home against any team uh, against France on Saturday. It was a match that was pretty much over within five or six minutes and just got progressively worse. Uh, and also one where it's sort of impossible to pick out any positives really, which is, I think that's always the concerning thing. And you're only a few months away from a world cup. So normally at this stage, you would hope to be seeing some semblance of a team that could compete at the very highest of levels. I mean, not that this, you know, France are one of the best teams in the world, Ireland, probably the best team in the world at the moment. So the Six Nations, you know, is an extremely strong competition this year. And Scotland are also 
uh, good. But yeah, things are not not looking great and could get worse on Saturday, considering that they are now playing Ireland in Dublin the day after St. Patrick's Day with Ireland going for the grant. Well, that could be a positive. <laughs> I don't think it will be. <laughs> I think you'll have a raucous crowd, uh, people, you know, bang for blood. The thoughts of them securing the Grand Slam, which for people unfamiliar is Six Nations, obviously it's one match against each of your opponents. So it's five matches in total. The Grand Slam is winning all of your matches. So Ireland are four for four heading into this final weekend. Um, I think... I think in- And kind of need to win, right? Yeah. Or or can't lose badly. Yeah, no, France, I guess. France can catch them. So... And yeah. yeah, for France, that w- winning so emphatically put them in a position to be able to to catch Ireland. Uh, so yeah, Ireland, if they want to win the Six Nations, I think at this point it's it's kind of grand slam or bust for them anyway. You know, like if you told them they won the Six Nations but they lost England, it would feel like an anticlimax. So <laughs> so yeah, I know it's uh, things aren't great, and then it's only a few months to somehow turn things around ahead of a world cup in France starting in September. And uh, yeah, not the only reason to be optimistic about it as an England supporter for that world cup is just that world rugby kind of made a mess of the draw for this world cup. They held the draw. Well, they held the draw two years ago. And then because of the pandemic, they used the world rankings from three years ago. So from a year before then when they did the draw, ouch, and that was great for England because at the time England were really yeah. good coming off the back of losing in the final of the 2019 World Cup. And so England have an extremely favorable World Cup draw. It now means that, for example, three of the top five nations in the current world rankings are in the same group, which is not ideal. So one of them will be knocked out in the group stages. And you have one half of the draw, which has Ireland, arguably the best team in the world, New Zealand, probably the second best team in the world, if not France and South Africa, all on one side. And then on the other side, you've got England, Australia, Argentina, and Wales. So not a lot of strength and depth from the kind of elite playing nations. And you throw Scotland on the other side of the draw as well. So it's a lopsided World Cup draw, and the only that's the only positive you can have for it as an England supporter at the moment is that they probably don't have to be great to make a World Cup final. But <laughs> I also don't know if I want to see England playing in a World Cup final and losing in the manner in which they lost on Saturday. And I think that would be quite yeah. realistic. Historic loss. Yeah. <laughs> you never want to have the words historic and loss together. But, no. <laughs> But I mean, it's always, it's, that's then the interesting debate, right? Say if you're an England supporter in any sport. I mean, we've discussed this before during different major tournaments, but would you rather, if I told England supporters, right, rugby supporters right now, would you rather say lose to, you know, lose in the quarterfinals in a close game? No. Or make it to the final and be absolutely annihilated by, Ireland or New Zealand or France. I I don't know. Yeah, no. Because no, no, no. Because at the end of the day, you're going to be even more upset that you couldn't even make the finals in an easy bracket. Like I I think there's just as much argument where you're going to say like, 
oh my God, not only would we have lost to France, we couldn't even make it to to play France. You know, like I I think you want to win as many as you can win. And when you lose, you lose. Like to me, it doesn't matter how bad you lose. You lose, you lose. It doesn't matter. So I think if you're a player, that's definitely the mindset, right? There's no doubt. Because also if you're a player. I think as a supporter. Too. I, I think sometimes as a supporter, I'd rather avoid the embarrassment. I, I mean, I don't know. It depends. Again, it depends who you lose to in those earlier stages and the manner in which you lose, of course. like. Well, let me ask you this. I, I can give you a kind of a recency bias. You lost to Croatia. 100%. In, in the- 100%. I mean, my circumstances are pretty unique in that I live in France. But if you – the option of losing to Croatia in that semifinal versus losing in the same – Really? Because that's one of the more embarrassing losses I can think of on recent No, no, no. That doesn't even <laughs> scrape. Oh, come on. <laughs> come on. Uh, we were a tournament removed from losing to Iceland at that point. Uh <laughs> I 100% would have rather lost to Croatia in that semifinal. I mean, even Ice, maybe Iceland's a better example. No, no, because Iceland is just, I'm not suggesting England lose in the Rugby World Cup to the USA. You know, like this is, we're talking about Ooh. still losing to like Australia. Cold blood. Well, no, but I'm saying like a, <laughs> I know, a, a historically significant, relevant rugby playing nation you're losing to. Like if they lose to Australia, who are not by any stretch of the imagination great at the moment but still it's you're not you're not embarrassed by that but as an england football supporter losing to iceland a country of their size you know there's it's hard to not be embarrassed any but but yeah no if going back to that 2018 world cup if the choice was lose to croatia in the manner in which england did or make it to the final and lose 4-1 4-2 to France in my situation semi-final every day of the week I would still be listening to people tell me about that final if that had been what had happened <laughs> I mean when I was out in the in a bar on Saturday watching it the you know the French were crowing talking about that's just because you don't have any Croatian friends <laughs> <laughs> no but it's just different the French just love you know they and I, I just told one of them, I had a couple French people talking to me in the bar after the match and they, you know, oh, this must be so embarrassing for you. I said, you know what? I'm going to pull the same thing you would pull if this were England beating France in a non-major tournament. You hadn't won at Twickenham since 2005. So, you know, well done on finally winning. And also, you've not won a World Cup. I've seen England win a World Cup. So... You know, this is to you, this is your Mount Everest. To me, I won't even remember it in a few years. <laughs> well, I'll just have to make sure you remember it then. <laughs> well, you won't remember it. You've, you've got CTE. <laughs> <You'll> be, <laughs> that'll be, be long gone from your memory before it's, even, before it's gone from mine. But speaking, maybe there, speaking of head trauma and injuries and recovery rates should we move on yep. to throw in a, a spoiler warning i'll have to get like a a soundboard drop that we can use for what's what's the sound for a spoiler well i could get someone saying spoiler as a as a pre-recorded okay. like spoiler alert. spoiler warning spoiler warning yeah, maybe something <laughs> slightly better than that but sure <laughs> <laughs> 
okay. along those lines. <laughs> but yeah, no. Uh, should we should we discuss the? So my my opening line, Eddie, was for The Last of Us now, which we're going to discuss was, who had the better performance? You've had the MJ flu game. You had the Mahomes high ankle sprain Super Bowl, and now you've had the Joel sepsis stab wound slash uh butt of the gun to the back of the head concussion john wick style massacre (laughs) what's the best performance so what bothered me slightly is that they clearly some significant time had to have elapsed between the two episodes for sure they covered the weather has changed weather but i mean they also covered a pretty sizable bit of ground on foot, yeah. seemingly. You know, they, they would have had to trek across mountains. So we, yeah. and I wish. And unfortunately for them, they just missed the NBA All-Star game, which Joel probably would have hated anyway, the lack of defense, but just a few weeks removed. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. We're trying to track, like, yes, in a different universe, yes. Um, I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they could have acknowledged the passing of time in the TV show. Like I, you could have done with a six weeks later kind of thing because you also then got slightly thrown off with the flashback to Ellie's birth, which at first you're not really sure what's going on. You're like, is this a character in present day? Is this, are they about to stumble? Like I was watching that thinking, are we about to see, them save this random person and then she's a new inclusion in the in the gang you know like you kind of don't know where you stand at that moment in time then you realize it's a flash so it's a flashback then you got like a rom-com on your hands <laughs> joel ellie and a baby <laughs> <laughs> but yeah then you you see the flashback and then and then they're just they're in salt lake city and there they are yeah um so Real quick, then just to go into that flashback, um, really cool. I, I mean, I'm sure at this point most people know, but for those who don't, Ellie's mother was played by Ashley Johnson, who plays Ellie in the video game. So a really cool tribute that like the person who played Ellie is giving birth to Ellie in the in the TV show. And overall, they've done a really good job of, I think, incorporating all of the video game actors into the show um so you had um joel tommy now ellie and marlene is marlene it's the same character who's played the game and in the show so all the major characters have now made an appearance in the show which is a really nice like tip of the hat i think to the video game and which they've done all season they've you know they have so many easter eggs like this one a big one people were talking about a lot of the scenes are similar we can get to that but like when joel has to get the uh, the ladder from Ellie. That's like a huge part of the game, like having to like always climb, climb things and have to like push people and boost people up and get the ladder thrown down to you is like a big thing in the game. So a lot of people were happy to see things like that kind of incorporated into it. So I think that was a really neat job they did throughout the season. So that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. You're Mr. Positive. So, but no, I do. They gave a, they gave a good video game vibe to the, you could tell at different moments in time. And I know that the giraffe thing was like a big deal for a lot of yes. people. Real giraffe, by the way. Wait, what? That was a real giraffe. It wasn't CGI. So she really feeds a real giraffe that was filmed. And then 
and they then made it look like CGI because it didn't look real. I just the background is CGI'd, but that was a real giraffe they brought on set from like a, a zoo or something in Alberta. His name is Nabo. <laughs> Interesting. And then they messed up because it didn't look real. So <laughs> they managed to kind of deep fake us with a with a real giraffe there. But and by the way, I looked up because they were in Boulder before, right? That's where the previous episode, this is where they... Eastern Colorado, which was supposed to be like Boulder, I guess, or Colorado Springs, maybe, so, one of the other. So according to Google Maps, I almost don't believe this. It's a, It's only a 154-hour walk from Boulder to Salt Lake City. I think... Yeah, I mean, like... It's it's relatively close. I think the further walk probably was from four hundred and sixty Kansas City. It's, it's four hundred Kansas City to Wyoming. It's four hundred and sixty five miles. I wouldn't. But yeah, I'm just thinking about in terms of driving, like how long it would take me to drive from there to there. Eight hours, according to. Uh, yeah. But I just, it's it's mountainous terrain. I just, I don't believe the average person. Like I would bet all sums of money that the average human being could not walk from Boulder to Salt Lake city in 154 hours. I think the average human being couldn't literally physically walk well, that, in America from, from Boulder yeah. to Salt Lake city. But no, anyway, but I, I do wish that was my, that was the one thing that bothered me because then you did, he just did to seem to undergo this miraculous recovery, which we, we already somewhat yeah. witnessed in the previous episode where he went from, his deathbed to murdering people. And then in this episode, all of a sudden he was kind of back to normal. And if anything, chirpier than before. So you, you sort of looked at it and I, and if they'd at least acknowledged some passing of time, you know, they're kind of assuming you figure that out without telling you though, is it eight days? Is it eight weeks? We don't really know. But yeah, no, it's um, and then his uh, Salt Lake City looking depressing. I mean, it's <laughs> unrecognizable from the the beautiful town in which I grew up. Sad, sad, <laughs> sad times for Salt Lake City too, right? Because this would have this would have taken. Wait, wait, you would have just gotten out before, yeah, right? I'm not in Salt. That's what we determined. Yeah, but also. Uh, when is this? 2003 it happened, right? Probably now they're in probably... Two, yeah, so yeah, They've yeah, just sorry. had the Winter Olympics. So Salt Lake has kind of peaked just before the apocalypse. Yeah. They should have tipped the hat to that somehow. They should have had like like the big like ski slalom like yeah. or something. They had to have something in city center, I'm sure. Uh, they always do that where they have like an event in city center or something. Yeah, they didn't have much. I mean, that's indoor events. Maybe the curling. That indoor events. They should have. They should have had like curling sticks thrown around. <laughs> they could have gone past the the Delta Center as it would have been at the time, uh, which is since renamed. They didn't go past the Mormon Temple, which I kind of expected them to do because that's the only way of really showing that you're in Salt Lake City. Like it's the only truly recognizable <laughs> building. Bes- Besides the mountain in the background, yeah, but you could have told pretty iconic. You could have told me those mount. You know, like there's plenty of cities in the Western United States where you're going to get mountains in the background, so that's not necessarily that distinct. I and you're not seeing the Salt Lake itself, so you know it's 
that would have been, but I mean, that's a whole lot more work for them from a CGI perspective, I guess. But yeah, I mean, his, I guess the real question is if you were in his shoes and you in any way believe that they're able to carry out this operation on her to potentially save humankind, is your attachment to her so great that you then decide to kill 15, 20 people <laughs> to save her life? And, 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 and possibly ultimately kill the hope of humanity. Yes. In the process. <laughs> that, that, that's the, that's the bigger yeah. long-term <laughs> uh, uh, consequence. I mean, so we, we can get into that in a little bit, which I think, you know, already being two white guys doing a sports podcast, you know, might be cliche, but Neither of us have kids, so I don't think we're either in the right uh, his mindset kid. to be able to. But the implication now is it kind of is his kid. Yeah, I don't buy that. I don't. I don't think that that changes based on not having a kid, because I think you could have attacked. I know it's easy, like it's an easier story to be like, oh, he had a child, that child died. They were of similar ages, and so she's then stepping in. But twenty years have gone by, so it's not like. That's an easier. Oh, he was he like she's. See, but this, but I, I think you just having this opinion is the fact that you don't have kids or you don't have an attachment to like a young child in that in that way. Because I think part of the implication is you're right. It's not his kid in twenty years have passed, but this is the first time in his life that he's now like feeling good about his life again, and she's the reason because now he has basically replaced. Like there was like a 20 year gap in his life. That's almost like a black hole. And he's now gotten back to almost where he was before that from an emotional standpoint by replacing Ellie with his former daughter. Former daughter. What is she? Prince? Yeah. <laughs> his dead, his dead <laughs> daughter. Um, yeah. I, I look, I get it. It's, it's, it's put it this way. If you were in a high school English class and you wrote that story, you'd be ripped apart by your teacher for being overly simplistic. So I think, yeah, that's great. But I, I think anyone in a similar situation, I think if I were 56 years old or whatever he's supposed to be at this stage in time, and you're sort of entrusted with a 15-year-old who's the potential savior of the world, I think you'd probably, and you then trekked three quarters away of the way across the United States together and saved each other multiple times, you'd probably have a pretty strong emotional attachment to them. You wouldn't go, oh, fuck it. I've never had a kid. I don't know how to feel about them. You know? So I think, I think that would happen either way, but I just, and I think I look, put it this way. I would, I would probably have gone on the murder rampage as well, but more because I would have no faith in these weirdo people to be able to carry out this brain surgery and somehow save humanity. That would be my, I would want, I would say like, can I talk to this surgeon before? Like, was this person a specialist in this before? Or is it like, yeah. like this is something we definitely need to address <laughs> because so we're jumping into so many different, like good talking points. Let me just go back to the first one and then we could discuss the potential quack doctor. I think I don't know what I would do from a perspective of, of you know, if I were Joel and I were 
had lost a daughter. And now I have this person that I'm tracking the country, have saved multiple times. She's saved my life multiple times. We've clearly formed a crazy good bond. And in his head, you can tell he like sees the similarities between them. And he's just kind of like connecting those neurons a little bit. I'm not in that situation. But from a viewer perspective, I will say I felt it was slightly rushed that he had that much that he had become like so attached to her almost being like a surrogate daughter i think they needed one more episode this, in between this is my what had happened this is my issue what had happened at this the, is, the massacre at at wherever that was oh. silver lake and then this. so this is my issue with you you're the surrogate daughter thing it's too simplistic the reality is they've spent probably the last how long? How much time do you think has elapsed over the course of this journey? Eight months. Eight. Okay, so for eight nine months, f- fuck the daughter age difference. Had a daughter, didn't have a daughter. Make them the same age, same you know, like whatever. You've spent the last eight months with one person basically, and you have relied on each other, been your only source of conversation, entertainment, sanity. They've saved you. You've saved them. I don't care about the surrogate daughter aspect. You're going to have a strong attachment to that person no matter what. That's that's my problem is it's so simplistic. But but it's does the- he? Because like halfway through when they get to Kansas City, he's still telling her she's just cargo and he oh, literally could care less. Okay, about so you're thinking that everything he says is what he means. We're going to we're doing this. But like, come <laughs> on. There's no there's been no indication at any point along the journey that he was realistically ever going to leave her. The closest he came to it was in Jackson Hole, and then he still didn't do it, even though he wasn't the best placed person to keep going with her based on his physical fitness and skill set. So, like, there's been no indication at any point in time that he was going to truly abandon her. But, uh, like, to me, the, the, the surrogate daughter thing is like, it's a crutch, it's super simplistic plot line. And the, the greater thing is just like these are. What, 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 do you want something more intricate? Like it's it's actually his surrogate wife. <laughs> is that what you want? You want some intrigue in this? <laughs> well, put it this way: I think the reality of the situation is they'd probably he'd be probably more strongly considering that possibility at a certain moment in time. Like let's let's be real in a in a post apocalyptic world in which everyone he has no one else. He'd have to be thinking to himself that like. You sick What age does this become acceptable? (laughs) Like, if we don't think he hasn't had that thought, it was like, but anyway, that aside, I just think two people stranded alone in the world, regardless of the dynamic, are going to develop that level of attachment for each other. Yeah. So, okay, before we get to the, the quack doctor then, what are your feelings on how everything went down with both. I think also taking Marlene into perspective, because for me, I think the big issue here is Marlene for as smart as she is running this renegade organization of the fireflies is an absolute idiot dealing with people. Like, you know, this guy, Joel is a loose cannon. You, you pull the bond villain, tell him your entire plan. And then instead of just like, tying him to something and making him stand there with five guards with their guns to him while they do the operation. is like, no, no, 10 minutes before the operation, 
just pick the two weakest looking guys and you take him, you take him off and, and don't even bother to be cautious and think he might pull something. He's not going to pull something in an alleyway or, or stairwell. Don't worry about it. Like that is the dumbest move I've ever seen someone do. No. Yeah. It, no, it was, it was pretty stupid. And again, it was, you're right. It's, it's very James Bond esque. It's very video game esque of kind of creating the opportunity for you to, yeah. to fight back. But no, I mean, it wasn't smart. You're right. You would have just kept him locked in a room with a, a few guards posted outside, knowing that there's just no way he's going to be able to do anything. But yeah, it, it wasn't the brightest thing. And then you just also the overall strange arrangement of the fireflies throughout that hospital, which is like, again, very video game-esque. Very video game. Kind of. Even like when he's picking up guns as he's yes. running out of ammo, that was like, I thought that was a cool nod to the video game. That was like a positive one. Yeah. The fact that there's just a random guy like down a hallway is a negative side to yes. the video game. Just like very evenly dispersed, kind of holding up their position, kind of almost as if, yeah, you have to get past a certain point before the rest of them spawn. There's that, that, there was that feel to it. And then also once he had completed, like once he got her, then they're gone. He then gets into an elevator, which would have been an insane move. Like if you're trying to escape. Where are they getting power, by the way? I guess they got generators. But if you were trying to escape from a hospital, I mean, well, I got two gripes with the escape. One is the decision to get into the elevator and then just get out. And trust that he's not going to have the doors of the elevator open and there's not going to be just 50 people waiting to fill them with bullets. There's that risk. A hundred percent. I thought we were going to get departed right there. I like in my mind, I I instantly went to, I was like, oh shit, we're going to get departed. We are going to fucking get departed. And that like, I still never forget the first time I watched that and that happened. Like it was so amazing in that one to have it repeated on an HBO show would not have been as amazing. It would have been kind of like pathetic to redo that. But I still kept thinking like this elevator is going to open and boom, Joel's dead. I can see it right now. Well, which again, you have to thank me for planting the seed in your mind that Joel will die. Here's the thing. Have I? No, I have to thank Leo for, for that. But have I, have I just <laughs> messed with you and our listeners significantly? Is Joel never going to die? But I have just added extra drama and, you know, put you on edge for the remainder of this TV show because you think it's going to happen. But there's that also. As another nod to his incredible recovery. And okay, let's give him the benefit of the adrenaline that you would have coursing through your body at this moment in time. But killing 17 people. (laughs) No, his ability to carry her just comfortably i mean she's she's not huge right but she's not carrying a human being in she's 15 years old carrying a human being in that manner like it wasn't like a fireman's lift right which would have you know he didn't slump her over the shoulder and you're going okay that i could see someone going pretty far with this to actually be holding them like a small child but she's 15 and just a dead weight in his arms He carries her the whole way, doesn't seem to struggle. He gets confronted, continues to just casually be having the conversation while holding on to her, and then pull the, ah, I even had a gun underneath her gown. I mean, there's... Yeah. 
<laughs> there's some real dynamic strength that we did not know he possessed. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so many people, this is what I think made the video game great is this ending where it instantly divides people. Did Joel do the right thing? You know, is it, was it unfair that they were going to basically kill Ellie to try and save humanity without ever giving her the choice? And did Joel do the right thing in kind of protecting her and potentially ending any hope humanity had? And I think you can go back and forth. I, I, I mean, we can get to that if we want. I think I like that aspect as an idea. And I like that they stuck with that from the video game that to put this idea in your head, like, was that right? Or is he a sociopath and just ended any hope the world had of coming back? But they also kept varied to the video game with how he did it. And that's the only part I wish they were a little better in saying, it's a cool idea, but this sequence is a little too video gamey. Let's make it a little more realistic. Like, does he have to just kill these two guys and start picking up guns and picking off random people that are in random, like convenient hallways. Can we do this a little better, a little more realistically? That was the only gripe I had with this episode. I thought it was cool. Like I thought that scene was awesome, but for a show that's been decently realistic in a infected zombie world, this one just seemed very out of place video game style. Like since when did he become John Wick or Jason Bourne? He was just like a like a scavenger kind of survivor. And now he's like he's literally just like picking off people down hallways like with headshots. Well, the implication was that he was quite a killer, right? So we've not really witnessed it for the most part, but there's been a strong indication that obviously that's been part of his past. And he didn't do anything too miraculous. But yeah, I agree with you. They could have just made it. It was more just how dumb they made the fireflies. That was more my issue. I didn't mind how skillful he was. It's just that he was like stormtroopers, yeah, like <laughs> all. Yeah. And, you know, for example, the two the two morons walking him down like, wait, what are you stopping for? I mean, just like complete idiots. Yeah. Standing, you know, you, you got guns on him, but you're standing so unnecessarily, both of you so unnecessarily close to him. Then on top of it, too, he shoots them. And then you just hear in the distance, like, oh, there, there's gunshots. There's gunshots. And then people just kind of, like, <laughs> scatter into terribly unstrategic positions to try and cut him off one by one. Like, that that bit bothers me more than him being skilled. But, yeah, I just wish they have shown, they've shown a willingness to have a divergence from the video game. What would have been interesting to me is if I understand why you can't have Ellie be aware of the surgery because that that's like too that's moving her too far away from her sort of character development that she'll have in the video game. But you could have had him had a more they could have had a more like given him the option of hey we're gonna have this surgery on Ellie. Can you kind of is this all right? And knowing that he had to say yes, like it's not a real option, but you know, you could have had the doctor speak to him because yeah, there's just this, I would have just, my first question have been like, who is this doctor? I mean, as I've said already, yeah. like, is this someone who, why do we believe that they are in any way capable? Is this just anybody who had an MD who survived 
the apocalypse? Like, is this is this all it is? Yeah. And I mean, listen, I'll get into the science a little bit. But one, if there's some sort of cells in our brain that are secreting a protein, the protein is circulating in the blood. So you can collect the protein. The implication is you probably don't have the necessary equipment to then synthesize and produce that protein. So they want to get the actual cells so then they can grow those cells to naturally produce that protein and then collect it. But you still have the issue of where are you going to grow these cells? You need like proper microbiological equipment to grow these cells to like be able to then collect the media, to like collect the protein, to, to isolate the protein. Like it's not very simple. And one fucking doctor with three random looking nurses doesn't seem qualified to do this entire operation. Unless behind the second door, they had like a team of dedicated like microbiologists and, and technicians back there with like state of the art equipment. I don't see them just cutting the brain open and collecting stuff going to do anything. So that was... Like, and, and who is like, is this guy like a scientist? Is he a surgeon? Is he just some guy who like practiced in the ER for a few months? Yeah. You know, like, is who is this guy? Jeffrey Dahmer. And he's like evolved from, you know, performing autopsies on dead animals to now in the post-apocalyptic world, convince people that he's actually was a surgeon. Who knows? But doesn't seem very smart. He tried to fight a guy with a gun with a scalpel blade. <laughs> but then also that's to me where there's the other missed opportunity. To, they could have tried to have explained like why Salt Lake City and maybe they could have said oh we've come here because it's like this hospital was left remarkably intact and like we have all of the facilities that we need like there could have been a degree of an explanation there which would have taken two or three sentences and yes we could have shot it down for being way too convenient you know like you would have still had issues with it to a degree yeah. but you could have at least put him in a position of no, we know we can pretty much do this versus if I had been him, it's like, I'm going to kill you all because you're definitely going to kill her. And I don't think that you're going to be able to do this. So if I've got a choice between you killing her unnecessarily and just me killing all of you, I'll just kill all of you. Yeah. And then I guess the other back end question of that, whether, you know, he did the right thing and whether Ellie should have had a choice is like, is the world worth saving at this point? Like, is there any chance that if they save it, they can get back to any state of resemblance of what it was? I mean, I think at this point it's lost. Well, it probably it isn't though, right? Because we've we've seen enough signs that there's these kind of pockets of humanity. And you have to imagine that there are places like Jackson Hole everywhere. For all we know. I mean, they've not really shown us. I know I think in the video game, they kind of go through the overall death toll across the globe. But like, I know that we they've indicated like this has come from flower, which makes it seem like it's probably spread everywhere. But everywhere, you know, like wouldn't there have been places in Africa that just were never shipped this flower, you know, that like yeah. they're just completely untouched. Like, you know, you could go to, I don't know, Kinshasa, and it's just exactly like it was in 2003. You know, you know what I mean? How long will it take Julian L to walk <laughs> yeah, there? A few weeks? Uh, probably, yeah, 12 minutes in an episode. But, you know, like that's that to me is the one thing that I, again, I could see some hope for humanity. 
the thing that bothered me actually a little bit is she went one step beyond, and this might have just been her misspeaking or using words loosely interchangeably. She didn't just say this was going to be a vaccine. She specifically said this is a cure. So was the indication yeah. going to be they were just going to try and now run around and like inject the zombies and like they were then going to go back to being normal people like they were going to go through some recovery yeah. process were they going to be brain dead you know like what was going to happen were they going to all their organs yeah, no. were going to be revitalized no way like, what was supposed to happen yeah. there they're going to remove the fungus they're going to have surgeries and remove the, the like fungus from their faces sick fungus <laughs> yeah. growing everywhere yeah, what happens to yeah. a bloater the other issue like here? what does that person turn well, into <laughs> he goes back to being dwayne johnson <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's just the rock <laughs> So, I mean, the other issue with that, too, is you still have these extremely difficult to kill zombies that you're going to have to deal with. I mean, that's that's a decades long purge right there. That bloater took out the entire group in Kansas City. He was just ripping heads off. You know, like now you're going to have to save humanity at the same time, successfully fight them off where they've been unsuccessful. Like they haven't at all made a push at getting rid of these uh, infected. So that's my concern with like, can you bring it back? Because will you ever be able to get rid of all these infected that are just roaming and ripping heads off? I'm at some point they've got to just die, right? Like they've got to lose. There is that life cycle, like that one in the first episode that was like splattered onto a wall. (laughs) So at a certain moment in time, because again, there's the interesting thing. They seemingly only have an interest in eating humans. No interest in eating a mm-hmm. giraffe, clearly. No. You know? And but then there's a larger question that has to be asked, which is if Is this God's plan? <laughs> yeah, that's the bigger <laughs> picture, which we've we will never know, really. Or at least we just have to believe ultimately it is. But the bigger like there's a there's a there's a very obvious lack of animal life in a world in which humans don't exist anymore. And the thing killing humans seemingly doesn't want to kill animals. Like, why are there not dogs everywhere? You know, like there should be, they should have encountered, especially when Mason did Chernobyl and he had a whole episode about dog killing and rounding them up, you know, like he's got dogs on his mind. No, no, but you would have just thought there would have been animals just absolutely everywhere like the and that going back to in a sense the previous episode and them you know the desperate search for food and finding deer like there would be you'd think there would be a forest filled with animals because yeah. you know one of the things that have been killing them is now gone the last question i have about now the season as a whole is in the video game you are fighting a ton of infected in the show, I would use the word barely saw infected. Do you think there should have been more infected and scenes where they had to fight infected? Well, they would have had to have spent more time in those urban environments. And you didn't want it, you wouldn't want it to become too gimmicky because there's a certain logic, kind of as we were just discussing. If it's 20 years later and these places have been uninhabited for 20 years, why would there be tons of infected roaming the streets? And certainly when they're walking through the wilderness in Wyoming, 
they're not going to stumble across the like a wild pack of infest infected that have you know are migrating from you know Pittsburgh to St. Louis. So like that that bit I'm I'm kind of fine with it. I think it would have been difficult to explain without them just spending more of the episodes in urban areas and then just slowing down their progress. I think would have been the only the only option. I have to presume that in future seasons they'll have to fight infected a bit more. Like that's and that's just all I can think because they're going to have to put themselves in positions. I mean, but the, and then ultimately, like it, we, we're going to get back to the question I've asked you several times over the course of this season. And Joel seems to be happy at this point to just be going back to Jackson Hole to live out his life there. But why is this just not? This should just be the end in any realistic portrayal of two people. This is just the end of life outside of Jackson Hole. You just go, hey, you know what? That was pretty good. Let's go back there and you can live a somewhat normal life. Like you can study, you can have a job, you can kind of do things. You'll get to experience what it was sort of like in the world before all of this happened. Why on earth would you ever leave? Yeah. Well, I think though that the ending did a decent job of giving a motive for why there would be a season two where, you know, Ellie clearly doesn't believe them. And now I think, you know, she's going to have this going through her head. Did Joel ruin my, her opportunity to save the world and whether she knows or not that she would have died and whether she would have been okay with the fact that she would have died to potentially save humanity. I think that's going to ultimately be what drives season two is there's going to be a wedge there that eventually she can't hide and is going to be upset that Joel, you know, didn't give her the choice or didn't let it happen when, you know, she could have, yeah, she could have brought brought nor- some normalcy back, normalcy back, probably not in her lifetime, but in well, a future generation. definitely not in her lifetime. She'd be dead. <laughs> so her lifetime would have ended immediately, but very true. <laughs> so, although we, we think she would have died. I mean, maybe with the right neurosurgeon who has some training. <laughs> well, by the sounds of it, they were just going to scoop out parts of her brain and hope for the best. So I think she was. Yeah. And, uh, maybe there's a better neurosurgeon out there who's like, wait, he was going to do what? No, we could. We don't need to put you under for this. <laughs> it could have been like that scene from uh, from Hannibal when he like feeds feeds the guy his brain, his own brain. Is that that? Yeah, that's Hannibal, right? I mean, I know it's Hannibal Lecter, but it's that's the movie Hannibal, I think. It's not Silence of the Lambs, so. so. No. But yeah, where where was where's Hannibal Lecter at this moment in time? He would have performed this surgery, you know, amazingly and fed her one of her own kidneys. <laughs> also, don't know if I buy the like oh, look, Joel has some morality. He didn't kill those two innocent nurses when like three people put their guns down and, and surrendered and he just killed them anyway. Like, yeah. oh, okay, but he saved two nurses. Good for him. Well, they were nice. <laughs> yeah. But- and, and how about maybe get one of that doctor before you shoot him in the head to give you a quick look about that uh, the infection. stab wound you got. Well, no, he's feeling better than ever. Why would he want the doctor to look at him? 
He's, he's got like superpowers he's been now. Rejuvenated by that stabbing. He's now going to treat himself in the future with like broken baseball bat stabs. They'll be like, oh, I've got a toothache. <laughs> oh, I know how to get rid of that. Just stab yourself a couple of times with a sharp piece of wood. You gotta, gotta... And then just get a direct injection of penicillin a week later. Yeah, and you'll be you'll be better than ever before. But yeah, no, I think and look, he could have done a better job with the lie in the car. He had all that time to prepare. What am I gonna so say? much time? What am I gonna say when she wakes up? How am I gonna explain that she didn't change back into her clothes? Like and there could have been a much better story there. Like, oh, they, they took the blood from you that they needed. They they didn't need anything more. And I just yeah. and I thought Or or not do the like the stereotypical lie giveaway when your voice gets like high pitched. Yeah. Oh, there was raiders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean you just you just say they oh they got the blood and then I traded it I traded our stuff for a car. And that's why we're in a car and we're driving back to Jackson Hole because life seemed a lot better out there. Going to take them a while to develop that that vaccine. So they said they said to shoot us an email when it's ready. Yeah. <laughs> Surprisingly enough, they didn't. When I said to them, do you still need the contributions of this uh, sort of uneducated 15 year old girl to help you develop this vaccine? They said no. So looks like you're in the clear. <laughs> All they needed from you was your blood, which raises the larger question. Why did we ship you across the country in the first place and not just take a bunch of your blood and find a way to get that there instead? Yeah. Quick. Okay. So last question. Who's more cold blooded Marlene for just having no reservation in killing her best friend's daughter who she was told to protect or Joel for just killing everyone in his way and possibly ending any chance of a cure. <laughs> um, Joel, because there's there's less justification for what he's doing. Like, yeah. ultimately, she's making a difficult decision, but one you would say is morally correct. Again, assuming that there's a realistic possibility of this somehow working, and the percentages probably don't even have to be that high. And that's the reason why it's a it's a shame that they didn't just say, didn't give us give a little more. Yeah, info. like we actually have someone capable of doing this. Like, just so happens one of the world's specialists in blah 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 is here, and we have yeah. all of the facilities that we need. Because yeah, because if you even said it's a ten percent chance, obviously that's worth doing. Like I don't even know what percentage it becomes. Is it ten percent? Yeah. Wait, wait, 10% what? 10% she survives? No, no, no. Or 10% that it works? That it works. 100% she, if you tell me 100% she's dying, but there's a 10% chance it works, I think you have to, we're talking about saving humanity. I think you you have to, I mean, you could tell me 5%, you probably have to do it. 2%, you probably have to do it. You might even have to say 1%, you probably have to do it. But if you're telling me that it's some quack... <laughs> who's never performed surgery before, who thinks he can cut something out of a brain, That's then I'm not doing it. Oh, big take-home message here. Don't let Eddie babysit your children. He will give them up for a 1% chance of something successful happening. No, 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 no. Not something successful. <laughs> Saving humanity. Not something successful. Winning a 13-leg parlay. <laughs> that baby is gone. Yeah. Just a spin on the roulette wheel.
<laughs> I like my odds. Uh, How old are you, baby? Seven months. Put it all on seven. <laughs> all right. I think with that, we can wrap it up then. I'll talk to you later. Sounds good. See you. Cheerio. Thank you.